you can take a seat and give a warm welcome to Connor from Lexington. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I like that. They answer back. I love that. It's always awkward when you're like, how you doing? And they're like, silence. Um, hey, I, I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning at New Beginnings. And I can't thank you all enough for being so welcoming and gracious to me so far this morning. It's been great to get to meet some of you. And I think it goes without saying uh, that you all have one of the greatest pastors in the state of Kentucky. And um, we just give a hand for Jared Arnett. And, uh, Jared and Bethany are by far two of my favorite people in the entire world. And they have an incredible heart for what God is doing across eastern Kentucky. And they have an incredible heart for helping people. And they love this church. And they love all of you. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they love vacation a little bit more. And... Um, they told me you wouldn't think that joke was funny. I told them you would. So, um, well, as Jared may have mentioned last week, my name's Connor, and um, I'm actually originally from Kentucky, but have been down in Nashville the last seven years at a church plant down there, uh, but have just recently moved back to Lexington to help out Southland with their uh, church planning initiative. And I don't know if you know this or not about moving, uh, but it absolutely stinks, okay? Like, there's no easy way for me to say that. If anybody, like, tries to tell you, like, hey, moving's not that bad, uh, that's because they hired movers, okay? They probably don't even pump their own gas. Like, what are you going to listen to them for? Um, but needless to say, I didn't go that route. I tried to do it all myself and spent a ton of late nights throwing stuff in boxes, just trying to get everything prepared for the move. Uh, on my last trip back to Lexington, I got in a three-hour traffic jam in Nashville. That was a nice little parting gift for me. Uh, made it back to town about 1 a.m. last Sunday morning, and just as I was pulling off the Bluegrass Parkway onto Versailles Road, some of you know where this is, I saw police lights flickering in my rearview mirror behind me. So it's like, welcome home, right? Like, what a great way to come back. So I pull over onto the side of her sales road, and this officer's kind of walking up the side of my vehicle. And to say that he and I got off to an amazing start probably wouldn't be a fair assessment. Um, let me kind of pause there and just ask you, New Beginnings, have you ever answered the wrong question? And I don't mean like, have you ever answered a question the wrong way? I think we've all probably done that. No, I mean like, have you ever kind of had a response in your head for what you thought someone was going to ask you, but then they throw you a curveball, they ask you something different? Like, you might see somebody in the hallway and be like, like they're, they're kind of like, what's up? And you're like, you too. And it kind of makes sense, but not really. Well, um, so as this officer is approaching my vehicle and I roll down my window, I assume uh, that the first thing that he's going to ask me uh, is like, how are you doing? Like, how's it going? Just something like that. And so I had a response in my head prepared for that. And... Um, the problem was he didn't, he didn't say that. When I rolled down my window, he just starts right in very quickly, just, have you had anything to drink tonight, sir? And I responded by saying, feeling pretty good. <laughs> Which is not the appropriate response to that question. So I very embarrassedly kind of tell him, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going on very little sleep. And he says, hey, no worries, I understand. He said, well, I've been following you the last few miles been swerving a little bit, thought maybe you were texting and driving. Now I think he probably thinks I was drunk, but 
says, you've been swerving a little bit, touched the center line. I said, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm going through a move. I'm going on very little sleep. I apologize. He said, hey, no worries. Takes my license, runs it. He sees that there's no problems or anything like that or any reason to move it forward. And he gives it back to me. He said, hey, no worries, no harm, no foul. I'm going to let you off on a warning on the careless driving. But do me a favor. Just promise you'll be a little bit more careful. I said, yes, sir, absolutely. He said, he kind of smiled at me. He said, when you and I take our eyes off the road, we become really dangerous people. And I thought to myself as I pulled in my driveway that night, A, I was really gracious he didn't give me a ticket, but B, I kind of thought to myself, the same is true for you and me. I mean, when we take our eyes off the road, we have a tendency to become really dangerous people. And when a church takes its eyes off the road, man, it can become a really dangerous church. And a guy named Paul recognizes this early on about a little church in Galatia. And so he follows them from a distance for a while, and then finally he says, hey, enough is enough. You're swerving, you're touching the center line. I got to pull you over, we got to have a conversation. And he doesn't write him a ticket, but he does give him a really clear warning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 is where we'll be today, and we're wrapping up this series that we've been in the last few weeks that Jared's been doing in Galatians. And Paul starts right out of the gate in the book of Galatians, writing to this, this new church. And verse 1, he just says this, and we'll have the message on the screen too. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, just meaning you who are followers of Jesus, should forcefully and arrogantly help that person back onto the right path. Just making sure you're paying attention this morning, okay? You get a guest speaker, sometimes you can check out a little bit, go to sleep. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, there we go, help that person back onto the right path. Gently and humbly. That's how he says we should go about it. You kind of read that. It's like, come on, Paul. Do we have to be gentle and humble and nice all the time? I mean, if we see somebody overcome by some sin that we really don't like, can't we just kind of lay into them just this once? But Paul knows. He knows that's no way to go about it if we want to get the message across. A few years ago, early on in my ministry, I was going out to Buffalo Wild Wings with some guys from Bible study. Anybody here like Buffalo Wild Wings? Y'all got a good one around here, Pikeville. Uh, so we go to BW3s, and I'm hanging out with some guys that I'm in Bible study with, and our, our hostess shows us to our table, and, and not long after we sit down, our, our server walks up. And she's probably college age, uh, very young, very bubbly, very, very attractive young woman. And she's really nice. She takes our, our drink orders, and then she walks over to another table to help them. And I overhear a, a guy in my group out loud kind of mutter, man, look at her. I thought to myself, here's my chance. Here's my chance to lay into somebody new in ministry, rookie pastor, I mean, I have my spiritual card out ready to go, and, and I'm like, all right, here's my chance to have the moral ground, high ground on somebody. So I pull him over right there at the table, turn my lights on. I said, hey. And I very, I very arrogantly began to tell him that what he said was 
said was wrong. And I, I remind him he's married, he's got two beautiful children. And I go on and on, I begin to quote scripture very arrogantly uh, about what Jesus said about lust to him. And, and the guys at my table, these fellow Christians that are with, they're kind of looking at me really funny as I'm giving this like sermon. And they, the one I'm reprimanding, he finally just looks at me and says, Connor, like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that woman that you just said something about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I try to play it off. And then they all kind of start snickering at me, and he said, no, you idiot, not her, her. And he points past the young waitress to a woman, I kid you not, wearing an eye patch with a parakeet resting on her shoulder right there in the middle of Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm assuming her emotional support animal, I don't know. And, and everybody in the restaurant had clearly taken notice of this woman. Everybody had noticed this woman except for me. All I had noticed was, well, the waitress. Gently and humbly, never forcefully and arrogantly. Paul knows this is the only way to get our message across as followers of Jesus. And then he, then he goes on to say, he goes on to very wisely say, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Basically just translation saying, could be you that needs pulling over. Might be you on the side of the road. We all need humble direction and grace from each other. And he tells us to share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. We all need each other. Share each other's burdens. Do it together. And then he kind of drops the hammer on them. Like Monday Night Raw, WWE, like he, he puts them in like a full Nelson. He drops the hammer on them and he says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. And with this line, he really drives it home. You are not that important. Kind of stings, doesn't it? You are not that important? Give me a break, Paul. Like that completely goes against what we want to hear as culture. Like you're not that important. Paul is clearly not winning any popularity contests in Galatia, okay? But that's not his goal. No, he, he knows. He knows from where he sits. The people of Galatia, they haven't done a good job of serving others. And based on his words, he just wants to go out of his way to remind them, hey, what's most important has nothing to do with you has nothing to do with yourself. One summer when I was in high school, uh, my dad decided that he wanted to completely redo our entire front lawn, and he also decided that he wanted to hire a cheap landscaping help to do it, i.e. me. And I have not been hired for any landscaping jobs since then, okay? Um, but one afternoon, he and I were at Lowe's, and we were picking up a load of mulch. And as we walked out into this busy parking lot, we noticed what felt like hundreds of pieces of McDonald's trash being blown all over the parking lot. It looked like, looked like a parade. Uh, just looked like confetti all over the place. Probably what felt like hundreds of pieces of McDonald's trash. And so I did what everybody else kind of did. I just kind of stepped over them. It was not my problem. Then out of the corner of my eye, I noticed my dad, and he, and he, picked, up, he picked up this McDonald's cup, and he poured the ice out onto the pavement, shook it really well, 
And then slowly and like very meticulously, he starts, starts bending over and picking up pieces of trash and shoving them into this cup. One by one, almost as if he's getting paid for it. He's like taking great joy in doing it. And I stand there and watch this for a few minutes, and he continues to, one by one, pick up piece of trash after piece of trash. And then he, as only a dad could, he doesn't say anything. He shoots me this look out of the side of his eye, kind of like, you just going to stand there? Now, I'll be honest with you. At 17 years old, I was not filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And you weren't either, okay? But... But I was also taught to never sit and watch someone else work to always help. And so I did what I had to do. I I start bending down and picking up trash. I grab an empty cup. I pick up trash, pick up trash with him. And and I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't excited as he was to be picking up other people's trash. In fact, I was really embarrassed. Kind of thought I was too good to do that. I was really embarrassed maybe one of my friends from school might see me. I don't know if you know this, but like picking up other people's trash doesn't exactly scream cool in high school. That's the only thing you're really concerned about being at 17 years old. So we're walking around picking up trash for what feels like probably an hour. And we pick up every piece of trash in that entire Lowe's parking lot. And and he reaches out his hand and I hand him my cup full of trash and then he, he shoots it into a nearby dumpster like he's Larry Bird, just real playfully. And my dad is just like all smiles. Just like really enjoys what we just did. And very cheerfully, he's just like, well, that didn't take too long. I bet we picked up a hundred pieces of trash. What do you think, son? It seems really silly looking back on it that I was like super frustrated that my dad made me walk around and just do something as simple as picking up trash, but I was. My dad sensed my frustration. But as we got in the truck and drove away from that now clean, empty parking lot, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, you and your brother are never too good to do anything. You're both good enough to do anything good. And if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, this is, this is an area of parenting where society has really missed the mark, hadn't it? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, as helicopter parents, we've kind of done everything in our power to make sure that our kids always know that they're good enough, they're smart enough, they can do anything they put their minds to, they're good enough to do anything. And don't get me wrong, that's a really good thing to teach them. I, I don't disagree with that. I worked in student ministry for a few years. There's not a kid out there that I don't believe that same thing about. But in the process, what we've also sometimes done is we've actually sometimes convinced our kids that they're actually too good to do most things. I once had a dad in student ministry come up to me and say, oh, I don't make my kids do chores. I don't want them to get in the habit of doing manual labor. I don't know about you, but I come from a family that made a really good living off of manual labor. He almost got throat punched by a student pastor, okay? I had another mom once tell me, she said, well, Ashley, she's not going to be at student ministry for several months. She's studying for the ACT. You know, school is really her top priority right now. It really should be. I looked at the disappointment on Ashley's face, knowing that she wasn't going to get to see her friends for the next four, five, six Wednesday nights. 
I wanted to say to that mom, school's not Ashley's top priority right now, it's yours. And it shouldn't be. Friends, the greatest thing that you can do for your kids as their parents isn't to push them to be the best student they can possibly be. It's not. It isn't to push them to be the best athlete they can possibly be. It isn't to push them to be the best actress or singer or dancer or gymnast or cheerleader or artist they can possibly be. The greatest thing that you can do for your kids as their parents is simply to push them to be the best person they can possibly be. The best follower of Jesus they can possibly be. That's it. That's it. But oftentimes, we don't do that. And so, so how do we start? Well, it starts with us. As followers of Jesus who are humble and gentle, we have to be able to show our kids, hey, we're not too good to do anything. We're good enough to do anything good. So what does that look like? Well, it starts by teaching our kids that they're, they're never too good to open a door for someone. They're never too good to write a letter or a card of encouragement to somebody in a hospital. They're, they're never too good to take a meal to someone who's just lost a loved one. They're never too good to go sit with an old lady across the street that needs some company. They're never too good to rake leaves or, or shovel a driveway of somebody that can't get around really well. The list goes on and on and on as parents and just really as adults, as followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to show kids that we're not too good to do anything. We're good enough to do anything good. I once sat down a few months ago with a theology professor at University of Campbellsville and and kind of frustrated, he wanted to have a conversation with me about student ministry, and kind of frustrated, he just rubbed his eyes. He said, Connor, do you ever get worried about this next generation? I could tell he was. I don't think he was expecting my response. I said, no, not at all. I don't ever get worried about this next generation. I get worried sometimes about the generation raising this next generation. I don't think he liked that. But it's true then a few weeks later, I had the privilege of getting to drive through eastern Kentucky and come visit Jared and, and Bethany here in Pikeville. And they welcomed me in their home with open arms, as you all would have expected. They're two of the sweetest people you'll ever come across. And then me and Jared hopped in the truck, and we drove over here to New Beginnings. And, and he showed me this amazing space you guys have in this auditorium. And then he said, hey, let's go upstairs. I want to show you our kids' space. And I was amazed there's a, there a classroom for every grade. There was all these toys and Nerf guns and basketball. I was like, can I just live here forever? I said, Jared, this is, this is awesome. This is incredible. And very humbly, but very proudly, he smiled and he just said, yeah, our kids' ministry is outgrowing our adults. Friends, I didn't get worried when he said that. I got excited. You should be really excited too. That's the best problem a church can ever have is your kids' ministries outgrowing your adults. And that's huge. Then he and I walk across the street and we go to Faith Life Market. Are you kidding me? Have you been there? I thought I was in Walmart. That place has everything. I mean, books, clothes, toys, this really cool little coffee house. But what I was most amazed by was was all the kids working there. 
volunteering their summer, volunteering their time to, to hang clothes and to shelve books and to serve people coffee. And, and the coolest part about it, their parents were serving with them. I got back on the Mountain Parkway and drove back towards Lexington that afternoon, and I, I stood by my statement. I still sometimes worry about the generation that's raising this next generation, but not here. Not in this room. Not here at New Beginnings. New Beginnings, I want to tell you, good job. Good job and keep going. You are radically investing in the next generation, and it matters. It matters a lot. And here's what I can tell you. As someone who comes from the business world, I worked in finance for several years. If you can do this for your kids, they will far stand out amongst the crowd. Not because of their ACT score. Not because of their batting average. No, but because they'll grow up to love people the way that Jesus does. And that's a way that most people have never been loved before. New beginnings, I just want to tell you, good job and keep going. Paul very wisely says in, in verse 7, he says, you will harvest what you plant. Keep planting. Keep growing, kids, like this. And then very wisely he goes on to say in verse 8, but those who live to please the Spirit, which is his whole point, his whole point of this whole passage, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And boy, that's what the devil wants us to do, isn't it? Just give up. Just throw in the towel. Just look up at God and say, look, man, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm not reaping any blessing from all this good that I'm doing. I quit. The devil would love nothing more than that, right? But Paul knows, Paul tells us we will reap a harvest of blessing if we are willing to keep going and stay at it. A few years ago, a, a, a Dallas middle school organized a, what they called a breakfast with dad. And uh, for all the boys, all the young men there at the school, and about 150 of these middle school boys signed up. But as the parents began organizing the event, uh, they very quickly became discouraged because they knew um, based on the RSVPs, that most of these boys wouldn't have a dad to bring along to the breakfast. And fatherlessness is a real problem just in our society today, and it certainly was in, in inner city Dallas. And so the parents said, well, maybe we should just cancel it. I mean, it was a nice thought, but maybe we should just cancel it. We don't want the boys to feel bad. But the lead volunteer, a very intelligent woman named Christina Dove, she thought better, and she didn't give up that easily. She knew how important it would be for these 150 boys to have a role, a role model in an adult male. And so she did what she knew best. She put out a call on social media. All of, her, all of her social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and she put out a call of her social media and just asking for 50 men. Asking for 50 men to show up just for one hour on Wednesday morning and just provide just an hour just to encourage or mentor one of these kids. She knew it was a lofty goal. But she thought maybe if she asked for 50, that five or 10 might show up and be willing to volunteer their time. When the morning of the breakfast came, she was overwhelmed by the response, and they very quickly ran out of food because, 
over 600 men from Dallas and the suburbs showed up, piled into this little gymnasium. Doctors, lawyers, construction workers, firefighters, mechanics, you name it, they piled into this little gymnasium and, and they began to, to teach the boys things like, they began to teach the boys things like how to tie a tie, how to shave, how to ask a girl on a date, but most importantly, they just had conversation with them and they just showed them that they mattered. 600 men. If Christina had met her original quota of 50 men showing up to the breakfast, there would have been one dad for every student at the breakfast. But because of the overwhelming response that she could have never expected, there was now four dads for every one student. That's a really good number, isn't it? I think we all could use about four dads. Popular culture will try to convince you that the world needs less men. It actually just needs more dads. God can really send a harvest, can he? He's really good at it. The problem is oftentimes you and I, we give up really easy on it. Throw in the towel early, which is exactly what the devil wants. We say, God, I'm not seeing the benefit of this. And I think that breaks God's heart because he's going, if you would just hang in there a little longer, the crops are going to be plentiful. Paul reminds us of this in verse 10. Paul reminds us, he says this. He says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, key word, everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Uh, William James, he's an author, perhaps kind of best known as being the father of American psychology and his quote puts it this way, act, act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. I'm not a psychology major. I barely finished school. But he's right. New Beginnings, I say all of this to you this morning because I want you to hear it from somebody that doesn't go to your church. But what you're doing across eastern Kentucky, it makes a difference. I want you to know that. It makes a huge difference. I don't know who in this room maybe needs to hear it, but that homeless person that you picked up, gave him a ride last week, it made a difference. That, that single mom that you babysat for so she could go back to school at night, it made a difference. Uh, that person that you took a meal to that just lost a relative, it made a difference. Uh, that big tip, that giant tip that you left anonymously at the restaurant, it made a difference. That, that kid that you bought cleats for on the baseball team because you knew his parents couldn't afford to buy him any, it made a difference. That addict that you keep inviting to church and keep inviting to church in the hopes that someday He'll just come running home to Jesus, realize that that's all he's ever needed. It made a difference. New beginnings. Keep going. Don't grow weary. It makes a difference. It may not have seemed that way at the time. It probably didn't. 
but may not have even felt like anyone noticed, but, but God noticed. And that person you helped, they noticed too. It's my only prayer for us this morning. As fellow Kentuckians, north, south, east, west, central, doesn't matter. My only prayer for us as Kentuckians, may we never grow weary in doing what we know is good. It makes a difference. It makes all the difference. And at just the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. New beginnings never give up. Promise me that. So as humble and gentle followers of Jesus, my only prayer this morning is that we show the world that Kentucky is made up of people who are never too good to do anything. We're just good enough to do anything that's good. I pray that we do it gently, humbly, one piece of trash at a time. Pray with me. God, we are so grateful for every harvest that you've ever sent. God, we know that it's easy to grow weary in just trying to do the right thing and trying to do what we know is good, what we know is best, what we know your son would do. But God, I pray, I pray that we never grow weary. I pray that in everything that we do, we do it humbly and gently and that we stay completely out of your way, God. I pray that you use us as a vessel. You use this church and all that Jared and Bethany and the leadership of this church is doing across eastern Kentucky. God, I pray that they do it cheerfully and joyfully and that we don't ever do it for ourselves, but we do it only in your name and to glorify you. God, if there's any person in the room today that's discouraged, God, I pray that they would know that they matter. That they matter a lot. They matter because you love them and they matter because you want to have a relationship with them. And I pray that if anyone needs prayer, that they, that they just feel open, the open invitation to come forward. God, I pray we never tire of doing your work. I pray we actually have fun in doing it. Lord, give us the strength to carry through. Whether the harvest is plentiful right away or not, God, we know that it will be. We know that what we do makes a difference. And even though it may seem like no one noticed, we know that you notice, God, and that's all that matters. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the warm and friendly and loving and caring people that go here, God. Thank you for the way that they love people, which is the way that Jesus loves people. I pray that we only ever do that, Lord, nothing else. God, thank you for what you've done in this place and the harvest that you'll continue to bring across eastern Kentucky and across the city of Pikeville. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.